Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gordon Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordon Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordon Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, Gordy Institute undergraduate scholar, Cole McCray. All right, so we're back today. We're in the dog days of summer here in Kansas, and we thought we'd talk about transhumanism. Kind of exciting topic where we've got machines that are helping us in various ways. We got the big debate on artificial intelligence, helping us out and solving our problems. And maybe we've got devices that we can put in our body to make us stronger, bigger, last, uh, live longer. Lots of different elements to this discussion. And Peter, what do you got to do to lead us through it? Yeah, so I, I think we probably should start off with just laying down the foundation of what transhumanism is. And I, to, to be clear, this is one of those things that's sort of like becoming in chic to talk about, like within the last five years or so. Uh, not that people haven't written about it before, but it, it's more popular as a conversation now, maybe because people feel we're closer. So transhumanism, I don't have a good definition. And if one of you want to propose one, you can. But trans, you know, that that word tends to mean like transform. I think in this case, actually, there's some like aspect of transcending to yeah. humanism just being like what you think of basic humanity, you know, sort of uh, the way that you could really think about it is like transcending our meat, right? Uh, you know, our, our physical, you know, bodies as they are right now. And generally, that's thought of with a bif- uh, sort of like a varying level of ways. So like small variations would be things like, you know, robot arms or what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink. That's maybe a little bit further in where you start to integrate technology into your brain. But larger conversations about this include things like, you know, the metasphere. What What is that? What do they call it again? Metaspace? The, the metaverse. The metaverse. metaverse. Yeah. So, uh, Which you is know, more, isn't that Matrix, Zuckerberg's sort of, yeah, <laughs> Matrix level stuff of like, oh, you plug your brain into a computer. And the thought is that we can sort of transcend, like Russ was pointing out, some of these limitations of like disease, illness, death that comes with our like biological bodies and like maybe even like things like people go as far as to talk about like biases and things like that by uh, hooking us up to this like correcting machine that can kind of transform us into everything we've ever wanted to be. So that's generally what I think of the optimistic view of transhumanism is. Justin, do you have more? Yeah, I'd like to give like, I think, what a a kind of formal definition of what transhumanism is. So transhumanism, you're right, has to do with transforming and in particular transcending human, what we think of as kind of like the the bookends of human capabilities, right? So right now, I mean, you touched on a few of these things like health, um, longevity, There's also things like intelligence. Mm -hmm. So the uh, future is transhumanist if humans slowly or quickly change into beings that we would not recognize as being within what we would call, you know, the category of human today. That is, they transcend these capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so we can think about that in a number of different areas. And this is what transhumanists talk about. Like when we think about like human intelligence, IQ is, uh, you know, people debate whether or not like what exactly it measures, but it does measure something like it translates to a lot of different things. And you know that on average, you know, uh, 
humanities IQ clusters around 100. In fact, the IQ scale is normed to 100. And we think that people, for the most part, are between, you know, 50 on the very low end and like 170 on the high end, right? And we also think that, you know, the average, you know, lifespan uh, for a natural life is anywhere from zero, right, to like 120. Nobody lives past 120. And uh, we also think that there's a kind of um, limit to maybe uh, what kind of data humans have access to at any given point and that kind of thing, or how many, you know, how how susceptible our bodies are to diseases. Uh, we think, like Peter said, that we are made, you know, you said transcending our meat. We think that we are kind of corporeal in a very, very like distinct sense where at least if our earthly body dies, then our earthly ability to continue to interact with other uh, beings on earth is, if not um, destroyed, then at least greatly hindered, right? right. Um, and transhumanism is the idea that all of these things might be overcome. We might turn into beings that can live indefinitely, <laughs> and we might turn into beings that can have an intel, like what would what an IQ scale would measure as, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than what we think of as the uh, the smartest possible human being right now. So it's the idea that we could change, or that the kind of beings that replace us are beings that we would see as kind of post-human, as exceeding our capabilities in all of these domains in which we think, even if we don't have very clear endpoints on them, we have a very good idea of like what the bell curve is. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's a, a great summary. And I like that definition of like, it, it makes it easy, this idea that we wouldn't recognize uh, the individual of the future to be belonging to like humanity in one way or another. I think that's a good way of putting it. And I think that also kind of separates, like some people talk about transhumanism and they go like, well, you know, aren't we kind of transhumans now because we can have like, mm -hmm. you know, an artificial limb or whatever. Yeah. And we're like, no, nobody goes like, you know, Oscar Pistorius, that guy's not human, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he acted inhumanly. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I agree with that. I, I will... So you kind of like taken out the legs from something I was going to say, which I think is fair. But people do put this spin on it that like, well, we're already engaging in that. The way that we engage in that is like all sorts of like modifications. I mean, imagine you told people a thousand years ago that you're going to take a little tablet that's like this small and it's going to change your internal body processes to fight illnesses differently or to make you lose weight or things like that. Like there is a sense in which like that is like technological uh body manipulation and management that in a way would be unrecognizable though i agree not to the extent that someone would be like oh that's that's not a, a human being anymore and i i want to make clear because most of the podcasts i'm going to spend railing against the idea of transhumanism uh because i think that people really have like over invested a lot of hope in it uh but I, i'm not opposed to technological progress most technological progress we've made to this point in time i think has been good medical and otherwise and so uh, this isn't some sort of like, uh, you know, uh, who are the folks who are against Luddites? This isn't like a Luddites revolution against technology that I'm proposing that we don't try to make the human situation better for the rest of the podcast. But I will say that I, I generally have, as it stands now, like a negative impression of the transhumanist movement. I don't know, Justin, what do you think? I think there's two issues that kind of get conflated. And I think you're, when you said I'm taking the legs out from what you're saying, I I take it myself to be taking the legs out from what I think a lot of transhumanists yeah, do, yeah, which that's... is like this kind of Mott and Bailey where they say like, we're making these improvements now, right? Mm -hmm. And insofar as we keep making these improvements, obviously, you know, we're going to end up at this, uh, you know, 
technology is going to increase either linearly or exponentially. And then either way, it's just a matter of time until we get to transhumanism, right? And I don't think that's the case. So you could think something like, look, I agree we should be increasing humans' capabilities whenever we can, which I take it is what Peter was saying, and um, that, you know, progress is generally good. And, yeah. you know, um, but you don't have to buy this idea that transhumanism is something that we ought to even aim for, because you also you don't have to buy this idea that continually striving to increase our capabilities is going to get us there, right? right? Um, it seems to me like the transhumanists do this thing where they go like, look at the slope of the curve, um, and let's just put the timeline out further, right? Uh, but that's like me saying, oh my gosh, Dean, my son, who's three, he grew six inches last year. By the time he's 65, he's going to be 72 feet tall, right? Uh, it just doesn't follow that that's the case. Right. So that's my... Yeah, so there's, I think, two angles. So the, the one is that like intellectual extrapolation that's being done. But the second is like, there seems to be prescription that falls out of it too. And, and that's like another, what I would call dangerous aspect, which we can get into, uh, which is that the communists made, well, so since progress, like longer life expectancies are a good thing, and since transhumanism would mean longer life expectancies, therefore, we should aim and do things to achieve this thing called transhumanism. But as you're pointing out, not only is may it not be like, just for limitations purposes, be possible, it also may, might be that the pursuit of transhumanism actually like makes things worse actively, and it doesn't continue the trends up as, as would be expected. So, yeah, I... I... When I've listened to these transhumanist uh, conferences and stuff, the first thing that always comes to mind for me is that it's a fear of death is the driving force. And so I think there is a faith component that comes in of uh, people who really have a fear of death and want to live longer. And that's kind of their driving force for supporting and promoting and striving and hoping and researching that there is a, a way to prolong life and, and keep it going. That's the vibe that I get. So I kind of have a a different perspective like on people's worldviews. And because in, in a sense, the Christian has life forever already. And so it's less of a an issue, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, because we have life forever in, in a different way through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm all for the augmenting, and I, I think where what I'd like to hear, especially maybe Justin comment on, is that it really does challenge ourselves to say, well, what is human? If if that cyborg that we've figured out how to keep going for 800 years still is tied to a human mind in some capacity, have we lost? Is it really a transhuman, or is it just an augmented human, or is that one and the same? As far as that, this person doesn't look the way in in the year 3065, doesn't look like the person in 2023, but is it in every sense of the way still human, even though it doesn't look that way? And I think you were challenging that a little bit with, you know, what we looked like 100 years ago or something with uh, taking a pill or having something. Yeah. So I, I think like we can get into like the specific challenges now, because I think we, we were kind of dancing around. So one kind of major issue that I see with transhumanism, and it's one of the major criticisms of transhumanism, is this idea, like Justin talked about improving IQ. Well, how would we do that in theory? 
Well, let's say that we have a little computer in your brain that helps you make, let's say, the right decision, right? And when you make the right decision, maybe you solve a math problem because the computer either guides you or just tells you the answer to the math problem or is integrated into your brain. So your brain, you know, quote unquote, knows the answer to the math problem even. A question becomes like, is that your brain really anymore? And to some extent, the answer is no. To some extent, what you've done is you've outsourced your thinking to something that was created by someone or something else. And so they're sort of like if they're Star Trek fans in the, you know, in the audience, there's sort of like a Borg-like component to this, where like if everybody's coordinating via some like computer, like Neuralink, whatever it is, and I'm, I'm not going after Elon Musk specifically, that's just like the only attempt that's been made at something like this that I know of then really it's kind of like not you thinking at all. It's something else thinking. It's the program that's thinking. And so there's a sense in which like transhumanism actually sort of abandons like the individual and the process. I don't know, Justin, do you have like somewhat agreement here? Yeah, I think transhumanism is based on this like reductive functionalist theory of mind, which is definitely not obviously correct. And I would think arguably obviously false. Whereby, you know, usually this is called something like substrate independence in the literature, where as long as something looks and acts like a mind, you can build it out of whatever you want. Um, and we just, if you go back and listen to our philosophy of mind podcast, we know that there are some pretty terminal objections to functionalism. And mm -hmm. um, these are like the qualia problems. So that's like, I have two objections to transhumanism. One is like, it seems to be argued from two different ways. Some people say transhumanism would be great. So that's what we ought to aim at. Right. And that I take it is open to the objection that you raised earlier, which is, whoa, 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 whoa. Aiming at transhumanism might have very deleterious effects right. for humans. Right. So that's one argument that uh, we ought to aim at transhumanism because transhumanism is good. And that tells us what we ought to aim at. And then we ought to do whatever it takes to get there. The other argument, and this is a completely different argument, but they're usually crammed together, is this idea that we ought to aim at improving humanity. And by aiming at improving at humanity, we are obviously going to end up at transhumanism, right? And that's open to the objection that I raised earlier, which is it's not at all clear that by aiming at improving at humanity, that's going to somehow end up at transhumanism. There might be obvious ceilings in these areas, which are just insurmountable. Oh, yeah. um, the 72 foot boy, that's what you're getting at, that we might have a ceiling that we're never going to get to. Yeah. yeah. And to respond to Russ's point, which is like, wait, are these... Maybe these people, maybe these beings or whatever, maybe they are human. Okay, well, if they are human, then they aren't transhuman and there isn't a problem, right? The, the stipulation is that, okay, what about these post-human beings, right? If they are human beings, then that isn't a problem and they're still humans. But the stipulation is, oh no, we're talking about post-human beings. So either it's possible, and then we need to talk about whether or not it would be good or bad. And I think that there's a huge blind spot in people's transhumanist, their arguments for this idea that we ought to aim at transhumanism, specifically for the reason that Peter brought up, which is um, there's absolutely no reason that we think we ought to think that it's good, particularly because if it's a being that is beyond all our capacities to understand or even think our way into, um, there is there's a sense in which we have no idea what it would be like to be a transhuman. Yeah, we're kind of back to our alien episode in a sense. <laughs> yeah, or this idea that like, you know, there's, we have no idea why a transhuman would value the things that it values if it wasn't bound by things like death or whatever, like bodily death. 
this is something that is so beyond our capacity to even entertain that I find the idea of like discussing whether or not it would be bad to be almost like kind of ludicrous. There's this line in Peter's favorite philosopher, Wittgenstein, who said that uh, if a lion could speak, we wouldn't understand him. And the idea is that something with a, a mode of life that's so different from us Wittgenstein's claim is that if he could speak, we couldn't understand him. The, I think the, the better claim is like, we wouldn't even recognize what something like that, we wouldn't even recognize that as speech, because it's so completely unconnected to our ways of being. If you think about how humans learn language, the way we learn language and concepts is by, you know, you don't start out with, uh, when you teach a, a child language by saying, okay, let's start with the negative numbers, right? The first words I'm going to teach my child are negative two, negative three, right? That might, uh, the way you start is by assigning names or usually like sentences. This is mom, this is dad, this is an apple, this is the dog, right? To medium-sized objects that are directly perceptible. And that's because the way our biology is set up, those are the things that we are biologically most suited to track in our environment. There's psycho psychological experiments by Zen and Politian, which uh, go into this. And a being that is completely, has completely different conceptual, perceptual, and physical abilities than us, it's not clear that we would even be able to recognize a common vocabulary. If we could recognize a common vocabulary, then we would share a pretty much conceptual scheme with them. Um, so that's my long-winded argument. All right. Well, we will continue there on what we ought to be aiming at. Is it worth it? And see where this transhuman part brings us, because I'm still perplexed. Is it uh, is it sinful to do? Didn't God create us perfectly? And so maybe is it wrong to be pursuing that? Might be another angle to hit. We'll be back in just a bit. Otto University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition of politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so we're back and left kind of a cliffhanger with maybe some faith angles to explore. I had a student actually, Katie Hinkle, who interviewed me eight years ago, kind of on this issue on how far we should pull genetic testing and gene splicing, I think was kind of the thing of the day and, you know, replicating humans, which we haven't really gotten into, but I think is 
tied into this discussion. And, and I just told her, I'm not afraid of it. I think God gave us all these resources. And so I think some other people feel differently on whether this is right to explore that, that God created us the way we were and has a plan, blah, blah, blah. And I might, I might think differently, but I'm willing to hear some Bible verses. Luke, you said you had something pulled up that you wanted to share. Yeah. So if you, if you believe in basically atheism and that there's no creator that transhumanist ideas might be kind of like, might follow that. Yeah. So, God. Yeah. So you, you might want to put yourself into like this godlike position. And so I'm looking at Isaiah 14, uh, 12 through 14, and it's describing Satan, but it's worse well for people who try to exalt themselves to a position of God. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will ascend above, above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. And so I think that's one of the main goals of this movement is to exalt yourself to a higher being. Yeah. They, so there a book recently came out, which is part of the reason I decided I want to talk about this in the back of my head was the, and I haven't read the book, so I'm about to say a bunch of things about it, but I read the <laughs> Wikipedia summaries. Oh, well, <laughs> no, no I, I, I'm being a little facetious here. Uh, I do, I am planning on reading the book at some point, but, but it's by Yuvai Harari, uh, Yuvai Noah Harari, and it's called Homo Deus. He's written another book, which I do know a little bit more about. And I know it was uh, historically, uh, there was some scrutiny of it, but I've been a very popular intellectual book. Those are rare. And it's all about how humans will transcend all their limits. And I, I mean, the like, the title is a playoff. Um, we're Homo sapiens. Well, the idea is Homo Deus. Well, Deus in Latin is God. And so this idea that we'll become God. So it is a little, little on the nose by some of the transhumanism movement. And yeah, I, I do have some ethical issues with transhumanism as, a, excuse me, as a Christian. And the, most of these ethical issues stem from motivations. And so I think things like things like improving your life, making it longer, you know, changing your appearance, like dyeing your hair. I don't think those things are like inherently wrong. And so like there, there's this question that it's almost like the, the heap question, I think, Justin, of like, well, if dyeing your hair is okay, then why isn't replacing your skeleton with a metal exoskeleton okay? And changing everything about yourself. Like at what point do you go too far? And I think the answer comes down to a lot of answers about sin and Christianity Christianity come down to is the heart issue. And so, you know, Jesus tells us kind of in, in discussions about preparations for the end times, when he's asked questions about when the kingdom will return and things like that, you know, a, a lot is said in these verses, but there's this line that stuck out to me of whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. And some versions of this, I think, say who loses their life on my account uh, will preserve it. And so this idea is that if you try to save your own life, and if that is your goal, then ultimately there's no way for a person who does that is not going to be the sort of person who's accepted Jesus into their life and, you know, have eternal life and that sort of thing. And so there's kind of this tension here where if you're really focused on saving your own life, and as Russ mentioned earlier, that I do feel like is a lot of the drive in the transhumanism movement is like this, this fear of death. Uh, and it's not wrong to be afraid of death. But it's wrong to be so afraid of death that you put everything else on hold in order to try to prolong your life. And so if someone wants to prolong their life because, you know, they're, let's say they're preaching to the gospel to a friend, and if they give themselves a shot of, you know, magic curing potion, they can do it for five more minutes to share the gospel. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with you if you're doing that for years and years and years. And I think it's wrong uh, for us to tell people that they can't extend their own lives with medical interventions that they can afford and all that. that. That would be wrong to try to conserve medical technology to prevent someone from living. 
But I think it is wrong to, at the expense of other important things, pursue saving your own life for selfish reasons. Again, someone could respond, well, what if it's for all of humanity? This is a different question, right? It comes down to the intention to some extent. There's also an extent to which we were created, the, the Bible tells us we're created in the image of God. Granted, some of that has become fallen and corrupted. And so we're, we weren't, you know, in Genesis, there's no, there's no death in the Garden of Eden. We're not meant to die. And then people sin and then death enters in because sin brings along death, just as God told Adam and Eve. And so changing our bodies significantly, there is an extent to which you are created a certain way and assuming that you know better the way in which you should be can be kind of putting yourself in the place of God. I, I, I do think that there's a line at which you're saying, oh, you know, God made me this way, but I've decided that this way is a better way to be. And so like elective surgeries that can be like really harmful to people. You know, I, I, th I think like the Catholic Church takes pretty strong stands against things like plastic surgery that's unnecessary. And I understand why. And I think that's right, that if you're putting yourself at risk just because you think you should look a certain way, there's something wrong going on in your heart. Now, I'm not saying that should be illegal necessarily. What I'm saying is like it represents something that's like maybe immoral uh, that's going on. And uh, as Luke pointed out, throughout the Bible, kind of a recurring theme, if not the recurring theme, is this constant or the relationship between humanity and God is broken. And there's this constant striving to either reestablish the relationship through humanity's own power or become God, humanity self. And so like the Tower of Babel is the classic story about this is, you know, God tells everybody spread out over the whole country. And they're like, no, we're going to come together into a city and we're going to build this big tower and we're going to reach heaven. And so it's direct defiance of God. And the idea is we're going to get to heaven through our own power. And so insofar as that is a motivation, this idea that we're going to be the architect of our own future, certainly we are not. I, I have no question that, you know, the scripture tells us very clearly that we're not ultimately going to make the decision about how the story ends, that that's outside of our purview. So that'll fail. And it's also wrong to try. So it, it comes down to intentions. If you want to save somebody's life because you care about them and you introduce this to like medical advancement that changes their body or something in order to save them. That's one story. If you are vainly pursuing like godhood or selfishly trying to extend your life at the expense of all else, like those sorts of things are problems. And that's kind of where I fall on transhumanism. So this is why I made that distinction earlier about aiming at things, right? So the one argument for transhumanism is that being a post-human would be great, and therefore that's what we ought to aim at. And I think that falls afoul both of scripture in the sense that it, it is explicitly this attempt like wouldn't it be great to be to be a god right, right. we yeah. should aim at being a god yeah you'll be uh, like you'll be like god yeah so apple man <laughs> there's an, obviously a scriptural argument against that right, right? throughout the entire scripture that's what you like humans aren't gods right and aiming at being a god is only going to end up in destruction right so there's a very good christian argument against that view right that we ought to aim at being a god I think there's also an argument if you are a secularist, even if you're like a rabid atheist about this view, because it seemed like for 200 years, atheists had been saying this idea of God, like it doesn't even make any sense, right? Like, what, so uh, just to take the atheist premise and run with it, if the atheist premise is this, this idea of like a being that, you know, knows everything, like we can't even understand that kind of being. Well, if that's true, too, then this idea that turning yourself into that would be a good thing also makes no sense by those own lights, right? right? So my argument is that 
not only do you have a Christian argument against aiming at posthumanism, there is also a secular argument against aiming at posthumanism. Now, the alternative, the other argument, is that aiming at these small increases in our own human capabilities will eventually get us to transhumanism. And I don't think that argument works. I think that that aiming at living... So all of these small increments that we're talking about, like when Russ talked about, you know, aiming to like extend your life a little longer, things like that, we've been doing that for a very long time, right? And it seems like what we're aiming at there isn't, you're not, we're not saying something like, well, if we just make these incremental improvements, what we're going to end up with is a, is a trans, is a post-human, right? That's not what people are doing when they, you know, take Alzheimer's medication or something like that. What they're trying to do in those cases is extend their ability to live a human life. Yeah. Right. And that's different. Uh, So I think these are very, two very different things. And so I think that this gives like, uh, this is the reason why I would say like both Russ and Peter are right. Russ is right in the sense that, you know, these improvements that I think Russ was talking about, those are improvements that allow us to live a more fulfilling human life. Right. But a bunch of the things that Peter was talking about, those are saying things like we ought to aim at being a God. Yeah. And that's, and I think that we have very strong arguments why we ought not to aim at that. Yeah, I, I guess I kind of struggle with it a little bit in the sense that I don't think God gives us any resources or powers that we can't overcome as a human or as part of his plan. So I think to Job and the challenges that I'm not not going to push you so far that you... I'm lacking the words here, but lose your faith or, or that it goes against God's plan. It's all part of God's plan. So I kind of think if you're, as Peter was saying, if your heart's in the right place, it, I don't think there's a problem with aiming. To, I don't know if I'm using the right context, but aiming towards these things that extend life, make it our bodies work better, be healthier, live longer. Um, I don't see it as anything that could possibly be contrary to God's plan, if that makes sense. Well, but the, the, theologians, especially like this gets into Reformation stuff and all this, but there, there's usually a separation that's made between God's permissive will, what he permits, and God's will on like what he wishes people would do in a particular instance. So yeah, people who sin, God is permitting that to happen. And so it's part of the plan in a certain sense. But the Bible also tells us that God does not want people to sin. And so how do those things possibly coexist? Well, the sin is still wrong. God just permits it to happen. And so insofar as like aiming at a particular thing is sinful, still something that violates, you know, what God would want you to do in a particular instance. It doesn't violate his permissive will, but nothing does. And so we can't extrapolate that from that, that everything's okay, because then do anything is the result from that. One of the claims that sometimes people like Ray Kurzweil makes, right? And Ray Kurzweil was the guy who came up with the idea of a singularity, right? That there will just be this point beyond which you will have these jumps in computing technology. And you'll eventually be able to do things like upload your consciousness into a computer, right? And then then when your body dies, you'll be able to download that consciousness again, right? And it strikes me that something like that, thinking like, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to upload my consciousness into a computer. And then when I die, I mean, you can even just kill this body and then I'll just upload it into a different body later. Um, so put that on hold for a second. And then let's just think back. Do you guys remember, what does the hail bop comet mean to you? Nothing. I Nothing. feel like you've mentioned is, it before. Is that, is that the cult thing? Yes. Okay. You know what? Heaven's Gate, the yeah. cult is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the Heaven's Gate cult was this cult that thought, 
um, that the Hale-Bopp Comet, which was coming, I think it was like 96, late 90s, that there was a spaceship behind the Hale-Bopp Comet, and what you had to do, put on these purple jumpsuits with white <laughs> Nikes, and Kool-Aid. we had to drink this Kool-Aid, and then you were going to, your spirit would be transferred to the spaceship, which is hiding behind the Hale-Bopp Comet, and then you would live forever, you know, going forward. And I just think that, you know, that was an attempt to, okay, I mean, it's, it's isomorphically identical to, okay, you should upload your consciousness into this computer, right? And I have to think those people are dead, right? They made a mistake. So I think that there are very large errors that aiming at these giant leaps can get you. One would be like, I think if you tried to upload your consciousness to a computer and download that consciousness into another body, you're dead. Yeah, I, I think we should hold that for yeah. another podcast. I, I was going to say, that's that segued perfectly. Yeah, that, I think the, that, that's like a whole other topic that I've thought about. It's like one little anecdotal story of some wackos in California drinking the Kool-Aid is one thing, but then they were setting up our government policy to aim towards <laughs> it might be a different uh, a different ballgame. So, yeah, that looks like a good place to wrap. And they we'll head on to part actually. two to continue on this transhumanist line of thinking. I think there's more to to think through and having some good debate with it. So this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening and please tune in to part two here in our next episode to see where we go from there. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. Mm